Amen. Thanks, Mike. Once again, thank you, Amanda, worship team, for leading us. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're especially glad to have you. Uh, if you're joining us online, uh, glad that you're joining us online. I know a lot of folks are out sick right now, so you may not be aware that we even offer that. If you find yourself traveling or homesick and you want to still want to connect, you can jump on the website and uh, tune in live. So um, just know that when you're not here, we miss you. Um, but no shame, or no, sh- no shame, no guilt. We'll be glad to see you when you get back. Right, Miss Patty? Good to see you back. Glad you're here. All right, we're going to be in Matthew 16. So uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible or find that, like on your phone, your tablet, however you get to God's Word. A um, couple just quick housekeeping announcements. Uh, just a reminder, this evening is our um, annual all-member meeting, uh, 5 p.m. in here. Um, if you consider Solid Rock your church home, please uh, join us. Um, this is more of like a state of the church time together um, and less of like a business meeting. Uh, we'll do some just kind of some inventory on what God has done, and we'll look forward to what we're hopeful for this year and want you to be a part of that conversation. So 5 o'clock in this room today. Um, also, men, this Wednesday night is our monthly men's gathering. Um, we only do this once a month, um, and so just want to make sure that you know that that's this week, Wednesday night, 6.30 in here. But we aren't going to be announcing it every time it happens this spring like we did in the fall. So if you will, here are all the dates. Um, so wives, uh, get your husband's phone out and put all those dates in there with a reminder and like two or three alerts so they won't forget um, that these are the, our meeting th- days for this, um, for this spring. And we are looking at um, what it means that God is actually a good father. That is our theme for the spring, both in women's and men's ministry. So men, look forward to seeing you here Wednesday night, 630. All right, so um, we're in uh, Matthew 16. Uh, we're going to wrap up the series today that we've been in since week four. Um, we're looking at um, this mission that we are on as a church and how the mission we are on together is um, intimately and uniquely connected or tethered to um, the reason why any of us uh, exist at all. Like we're looking at the reason why we were created, and then out of that we're seeing that this is the purpose of the church, uh, that the purpose of one of us is the purpose of, of all of us. And so week one we looked at um, this idea of gathering together in worship, that we were created for worship, not just to worship, but something about when we worship does something for us as well. We were created for worship. And then we came back the next week and we looked at how we were created to, to exist in intimate community, uh, relationships where we're both known, fully known, and fully loved. Uh, this is what we describe as the biblical community of Christ, that um, we grow together as Christians when we grow together as the biblical community of Christ. And then last week, we started the kind of the last leg of this looking at how we were created for mission, that um, even before the fall, that, um, that Adam and Eve were created for mission. God didn't start with a ready-made kingdom. He started with Adam and Eve. He said, okay, be fruitful and multiply. He created a space for his kingdom, and then through Adam and Eve, he had intended on them to, to be on mission and to, to multiply and to fill the kingdom with image bearers. And so we looked at how today the church, and Jesus said it in Matthew, hey, here's what you're to be about. Go make disciples of the nations. And so that, that, that call to be fruitful and multiply is still why we are here today, um, that we exist to be fruitful and multiply. And that's why as a church, it's our mission to live the mission of Jesus in our everyday life. And that does not necessarily mean that we all need to sign up for a mission trip or we need to go volunteer for a mission project. Though Those things can be great. Like every Christian who is a part of this church is called to live that mission for Jesus in your everyday life. And so my heart last week and this week 
is to come, come, to come around you and say, hey, here's what that means in the simplest form. Because so many times when we think about living on mission or sharing the gospel or sharing our faith, for a lot of us, intimidation starts to spike. Right? Like, I don't know that I'll have all the answers. I don't know how I'll start the conversation. I don't, like, I don't know how it's going to go. What happens if I get it wrong? What happens if I leave something out? What happens if they, they you know, put me on a spot and like, ask me a question I can't answer? And, uh, and so what we're doing is we're looking at what does it mean to live your life and to share your faith in the simplest forms? Right? There are a lot of different tools that we can grab a hold of that can help us share our faith from you know, those pictures we draw with the cliff, with the cross bridging, some of you have seen that way of sharing your faith, to evangelism explosion, to the Romans road, and there's all these different tools we can have. We're not careful. We'll make sharing the gospel so complex and such a big thing that we never do it. And so what I'm going to present to you today is sharing the gospel in the simplest form. Like, what does it mean to boil it down to the irreducible minimum of sharing your faith with someone in a way that they could actually be saved? So our mission is to multiply and to see God's kingdom grow. And when you became a Christian, God's kingdom grew. And now what God wants to do is the same thing that he wanted to do through Adam and Eve. Now through you, he wants to multiply his kingdom. Did you know that God wants to do that through your life every day? And so in, in Matthew 16, we're going to kind of step into a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Starting in verse 13, we'll read this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, that's just the area they were in, uh, that'll actually come up later. Uh, Jesus' followers actually established a church here later. But at this point in time, there was no, there was no church there were synagogues and temples and places of worship, but there was no unified place for Christians together um, to call church. Matter of fact, the verse that we're going to read in just a minute is the first time church even shows up in the Bible. And so at this point in time, you just have Jesus and his followers. And so they're in this region of Caesarea Philippi, and he begins to ask questions. And so he asks his disciples, hey, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And so he's referring to himself, and he's asking, like, hey, what are you guys hearing out there on the streets? And here's the response. They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And I love a couple of things about this approach to this conversation I love Jesus' curiosity with the disciples. Like, this isn't a theological pop quiz, right? He's really being curious with them. Like, hey, what are you guys hearing out there? Who are the people? What are they saying? Who are they saying that I am? And they give some answers. Like, okay, well, guys, I'd really love to know the answer to this question. Like, who do you, how do you answer that question? Like, who do you say, who do you say that I am? I love the curiosity here, and that'll come up in a little bit later again. But the other thing I love about this is it reminds us that essentially the gospel is a person, right? It's not a, it's not a list of theological statements strung together. That's not the gospel. Now, the gospel includes theological statements, statements that are true. But the core of the gospel is a person, and the person is Jesus. And I love that. Like, he didn't, even, he didn't ask them, like, hey, what do you guys think about heaven or hell? What do you think about election and sovereignty? 
what is your view on baptism and communion like things that matter things that are connected to our faith but at the core of what jesus is drilling into is like here's here's what matters first who do you say i am because at the center of the gospel is a person and the person is jesus now i'm going to give you just some we're going to look at peter peter's answer peter speaks up on behalf of the group and he replies and here's here's his reply he says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so we're going we're gonna to pull that apart. Like, what does that mean? Sound, I've heard those words before. I, I know that's the right answer, but like, why is that the right answer? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? What does it mean to take the word Christ, which is not on his birth certificate, by the way, and to marry it together with his given name, Jesus? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? So in the Greek language, this idea of the Christ is the same idea of the Old Testament word that we would translate Messiah. Okay, so those two things are together. You can use Messiah, you can use Christ. And and both of those titles are referring to a figure that is talked about in the Old Testament. We talked about this, I think even last week, that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God is making this promise. I'm going to send somebody to rescue my people and to establish my kingdom on earth. And all throughout the Old Testament, there are different descriptions of this coming person that would do those things, rescue God's people and establish his kingdom. This person, this figure in the Old Testament is referred to as the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the, the, the promised one, the anointed one. And so now when Peter says you're the Christ, what he's saying is, hey, you're you're him. You are the man. You're the one who was promised in the Old Testament to be our Messiah. When you start looking at the New Testament and like even just the Gospel of Matthew, so we're in the 16th chapter, but all of Matthew's Gospel is really aimed at this phrase. Like even the first verse of his gospel starts with this description of what he's going to write. He says this, this is the book. So the gospel of Matthew, he's saying this about this book. He says, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And again, that name didn't show up on his birth certificate. He's saying something profound about this one Jesus who was the son of David and also the son of Abraham. The gospel of John uh, does the same thing in the very end of the gospel John says, hey, let me just draw back the curtains and tell you why I wrote this. Here's why I wrote my gospel. He says this, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. I want you to believe that. So I wrote what I thought was enough for you to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so the New Testament over and over again is going to say, hey, all the Old Testament is kind of leaning forward or pointing forward to this Messiah. And he finally showed up and his name is Jesus. He's here. Jesus the Christ. I'll give you some examples. Luke 24, 27, upper room. This is Jesus. Beginning with Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Uh, He, Jesus, interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. 
So after the resurrection, upper room, guys, pull out your Old Testament. I want to show you something. And he just started walking through the Old Testament promises, showing how he was the fulfillment of all those prophecies. In the book of John, chapter 5, Jesus says this, hey, I see you searching the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. I see what you're aiming at, what you're after. He says, but here's what you're actually going to find. It is they that bear witness about me. You're going to be looking for what are the 10 steps to get to heaven? How do I get to eternal life? As you look through there, you're going to notice a person, and that person's me. Book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 18. This is in the middle of a sermon, early church. But what God foretold by the mouths of prophets, that his Christ would suffer, and he thus fulfilled. This idea that, that Jesus came not just as the figure of the Christ, but he's fulfilling everything that was said about him, including his crucifixion and his resurrection. That was all written beforehand. And so Jesus shows up and begins to walk out these prophecies. The book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. You see that pattern over and over again? The Old Testament, it's about Jesus. There's a promise of the Old Testament that God would send a Messiah, and he showed up, and his name is Jesus. Now, the second phrase that Peter adds to this actually kind of turns up, if you will, the dial of significance. Because up to this point, the, the Messiah could have just been a prophet or just like a really good teacher or somebody who was just really gifted. But Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Isaiah wasn't the son of God. He was a great prophet. Jeremiah wasn't the son of God. Fantastic, powerful, courageous prophets, but they weren't the son of God. And so not only are you the Messiah, the Christ, you're also the son of the living God. This is important because this is who Jesus says that he is. If you go back to John chapter 3, like John 3, 16, Jesus is talking. Listen to what he says about himself. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There aren't multiple sons of God. Jesus is not a son of God. He is the Son of God. That's who he is. And this was Peter's answer. Now, verse 17, we'll look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. This is another, one of Peter's other names. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus is saying, first of all, Peter, that's the right answer. You got it right. And second of all, we all know you. You didn't figure that out on your own. <laughs> I don't think he's shaming Peter in any way, but just wants to acknowledge that what Peter just said was so profound. Because actually in just a few verses later, Peter's going to stick his foot in his mouth and Jesus is going to rebuke him. It's kind of kind of how Peter is. He's always the first one to step forward, and this time Jesus is like, yes, he got it right, guys. Did you hear what he said? Blessed are you, Peter, Simon Barjona, 
Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out by hanging out with John. You didn't figure this out on your own. You figured this out because my Father who's in heaven revealed it to you. And now really where we're going from here is this idea that this, this identity of who Jesus is really is the, the kingpin of it, to it all. This is the starting point for actually your faith and then the sharing of your faith. And we're going to look at what Jesus says in the next couple of verses here. He says some really helpful things. First thing he does is kind of a play on words. He says in verse 18, Now I tell you, you are Peter, which is the Greek word for rock. So he's using this idea to describe Peter. You, you are a rock. He says, you are Peter, the rock, and then on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever uh, you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there's a lot of historical theological debate about what Jesus just said here. People, theologians, pastors, churches, denominations, trying to figure out the essence of what Jesus is getting to here. And, and I think if we're not careful, um, we will look too hard and completely miss what Jesus is saying. Um, but it's important to know that why, so, so some people will say what Jesus was saying is that Peter as a person would then be the foundation of the church, that he would be the rock upon which the church would be built, right? So in some ways, Jesus then was prophetically saying, hey, Peter, I know you can't see this now, but I'm going to build my church on, on you, okay? Now, and there are those who would say, no, 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 that's not it. That can't be right because the church is built upon Jesus. He's the cornerstone. So then what Jesus is really referring to is his confession, you are the Christ, the, the Son of the living God, and so upon that rock I will build my church. Now, you, could, you can actually see some evidence of both, that Peter really was a, he was a catalyst for the church. When the church finally launches in Acts 2, Peter's the first guy up. Like, like somebody's, somebody's preaching, who's up? Peter's like, I got this. And he steps up and preaches the first sermon, but if you'll look at the content of his sermon, his sermon is all about Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God, the real rock. And so while Peter was super significant, and I would never want to downplay like his role as a catalyst, I don't ultimately think that's what Jesus was saying. Because actually, if you'll go two chapters later in your Bible, Jesus is going to say the same thing about whatever you loose on earth, whatever you bind on earth, but he's going to use the plural, meaning he's talking to every, all the disciples. Okay, so whatever he's applying here to Peter, he's having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. He actually applies it to all of them in, in two chapters. So I think then the, the more significant understanding of the rock is Peter's confession because that is in fact the rock on top of which all the church gets built. Who is Jesus? Do you believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God? Now, I want to stop here for a minute. And so we talked about last week how Sometimes we feel like we've got to have um, more to give away in terms of theology or theological answers than we actually have to have to give away. And so we talked, to, I used an illustration last week I want to use again. Just talked about a silver dollar that my granddad carried in his pocket his entire life. His dad had told him, as long as you keep that in your pocket every day, you'll never be broke. You'll always have money. We applied that then to what Jesus is calling us to do as we live our life on missions, that we always have something in our pocket ready to give away. And so last week we talked about the first thing we need to have in our pocket is an answer to the question, 
why do you put your hope in Jesus? So when that curious coworker comes to you and is like, can I ask you a question? Like, I know you go to church, and I know you pray, and I always, you know, why do you put your hope in Jesus? And we also might get that question from, from a critical person who's like trying to like prove that they're right and we're wrong, but at either way, Peter's like, hey, always have that in your pocket ready to answer. And so now what we're going to talk about today is what we can put in the other pocket. What happens when you answer the question and then they lean in? You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't, that wasn't prayer, prayer, prayer. I didn't think you were actually going to become a Christian. I just, you know, it's like, but if we're going to live our lives on mission and, our, and we're building relationships with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family and the baristas and waitresses and like people around us and we're building relationships, what happens then when they start to lean in? And this is where I think it can get intimidating. You're like, man, I've got to memorize the, the Bible, and I've got I've to have all these answers. And, and I love this passage because what Jesus says is, here's the main thing you need to know. Who am I? Who am I? Who do you say that I am? And one thing that you can have in your pocket is an answer to that question. And Jesus says that answer to that question is so significant, I'm going to build my church upon it. And that phrase in there, that the gates of hell won't prevail, that was a Jewish understanding of death. Jesus is saying death will not prevail against that statement. Death will not prevail against that truth that I am in fact the son of the living God. Now he hasn't died and resurrected yet, right? But, but when he dies and does resurrect, like you realize nobody else has ever done that before, right? Like this is where Right, Jesus displays, I, in fact, am the Son of God. And so what Jesus answers is this, that you are Peter, and on this rock, I think meaning both upon, upon you know, you guys are going to go live the mission first, you're going to be the catalyst, but more significantly than that, on that confession Peter just made, I will build my church. My church will be built by people who believe that. And the gates of hell, death will not prevail against that truth. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. You guys realize that it is the gospel that unlocks the kingdom of God for people. It's not your church attendance. I love that you're here. I miss you when you're not. Please come back next Sunday. The church here is numerically, we're growing, but the kingdom grows when people hear and believe this gospel truth. Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. Now, what we're going to do now is I want to just kind of move into some time of just practical discussion on what does this look like. For those of you who are like, theological addicts and you just love to talk theology think theology and go deep in theology i want to honor that there is absolutely a place for that in the church we need deep thinkers but please understand not everybody in the church is a deep thinker not everybody has been given the same capacity for theological concepts so what i'm going to do is i'm going to talk about the irreducible minimum right the thing that we all stand on if we're going to share our faith with others and here's the reality. However smart God made you and however much labor you give, like you could give your entire life to understanding the Bible, memorizing it and the deep concepts of God, and you're never gonna get to the end of it. 
You're always going to, always, there's always a question you won't have the answer to. And so for all of us, from the brand new Christian to the person who's like, man, just has this, you know, appetite for theology, here's the truth. I have some of the answers, but I don't have all the answers. Okay, Christian, like, I want you to feel that. You have some of the answers. You just don't have all the answers. And you don't have to have as many answers as maybe I have or Pastor Nick has or one of the elders has or this person sitting across the room who's just, like, super brilliant. But you do have some answers, and that's what I want to talk about. What are the answers, right, that, that when you answer these questions, your faith gets presented to another person where they actually could come into the kingdom. They would unlock the kingdom of God for someone. And it starts with, who is Jesus? So um, here's what I want to do. I want to give some, some explanation, even some coaching on how we approach this. Last week, we left off with Peter's um, words to the church that, hey, make sure you do this with gentleness and respect. Okay, so let's have that in mind, gentleness and respect. In our community group this past week, we were talking about that, and I think it was, it was my wife, Hallie, who was like, hey, what if we, if Christians, like, took that curiosity approach as we engage other people? So rather than, like, coming, coming to that conversation with a critical heart, what if we came to that with a curious heart? Right? Instead of starting your, 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 you know, the sharing of your faith from a place of condemnation, what if you came from a place of compassion and sincerity for that other person? Here's the truth. You don't know if they are saved or not. You with me? Like, if you already assume that, you're kind of taking the place of, of judgment. And like, like, what if we entered into that space with curiosity? And so I'm going to kind of frame how we can enter into that conversation to share our faith that will unlock the kingdom for whoever you're sharing your faith with. And then I'll give you some examples in a minute. So here's the first thing I want to do, and we do this with baptisms here. So if you've been here for baptism, you notice we ask three questions. Th this is how we boil down our Christian faith to the simplest form. And it starts with who is Jesus. This is, where, this is what we're reading today. And so here's what we ask when, we're, have some, when somebody's in the waters of baptism. We're essentially asking the question, who is Jesus? Which we ask it this way. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? If not, hey, I love you, and I'm glad you're here, and I'll give you a big old hug, and we can hang out, and we can have coffee or lunch, and, but I just want you to know, like, if you don't believe that, you're actually not a Christian. You could be a church goer, you could like the church, but it starts with this question. Who is Jesus? Do you actually believe he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it starts with who is he, and then we move on to what he has done. Now, Jesus did a lot of stuff. You know that, right? John's like, hey, he did so much stuff, I couldn't write it all down. Like, there's a whole lot more I could have written down, but I wrote down the essentials of what I thought you needed to know to know that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so the question is this, what did Jesus do? Now, there's a lot of answers to this question, Right? He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. Like, he confronted the Pharisee. He did a lot of things. But what is, the, what is at the core of what he did that fulfills all the Old Testament? He died, and on the third day, he rose again. And so we ask the question this way, do you believe that Jesus died and resurrected from the grave for your sins? Like, over here in the baptismal, we ask that question. Right? And so if you if you say no, we still love you. I'm glad you're here. 
No, not really. I, I believe you walked on water, but I mean, that whole resurrection thing, I think it's a little hard to believe. Okay, at least we know where you are. But to be a Christian, right, your life, your life is, is, is founded on this truth that you believe he died and he rose from the grave. And then, and then, and then it goes up from there, all the other things he did, right? But then this third question is, what have you done with Jesus? It's not enough for me just to engage my mind and go, yeah, those things are true, but like, what have you done with it? And this last question we ask is this, do you trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? It's worded that way on, on purpose. If we just asked, have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation? We'll get a whole lot of yeses. And what oftentimes happens, like, yes, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I'm a good person, and I go to church, and I give money, and I, I volunteer, and it's like, right? And so now salvation becomes this, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I have to add all these other things on top of it. Good things, mind you, but not the gospel. And so we ask the question, do you trust in him and him alone? Like, whatever guardrails you have in life to make sure you're okay, or you want to let go of all of those and just take hold of Jesus alone? for what happens in the next life. Do you trust in Jesus and him alone for your salvation? This is the starting point, the ground zero of sharing your faith. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And what have you done with him? Now, I encourage you, if you're still struggling, like how you're gonna answer these questions and like you're still struggling, like I, I'll say this too, um, Back in October, we were going through a series called What is the Gospel? And on October 22nd, David Horsbro preached on God's response to our condition. And he did a fabulous job in like the first 10 minutes or so of that sermon of really defining who Jesus is. So if you want to dig deeper into this understanding that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I would just commend that to you. You can get that on our website. And then after that, he talks about what Jesus then did. And so we want to resource you to answer these questions, but at the end of the day, this is the essence of your faith, and this is the essence of what you give away if you're going to be living your life on mission for Jesus. I want to give you just some biblical examples of what this looks like. I'll, just a couple of stories real quick from the, from the book of Acts so you can see it happening. Um, first one is in Acts uh, chapter 8. Um, Stephen just got stoned to death for being a Christian. Um, says that Christians started scattering and running for their lives, and as they did, they kept living the mission, that they were ready to share their faith in Jesus, and Philip um, encounters this eunuch who's in a chariot reading uh, an Old Testament scroll. It was the prophet of um, Isaiah. He was reading that prophecy, and so Peter goes, or excuse me, Philip goes to the eunuch. This is in verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, like, I got a question for you. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Just a very curious question. Like, I'm trying to understand something, Philip. Is Isaiah writing about himself? Because he uses a lot of first person. It sounds like he's kind of writing about himself. Who's he talking about? And then Philip answers. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning uh, with this scripture, he told the good news, we can stop there, because that's the word gospel, about Jesus. Like he was really aiming at making sure this eunuch knew that the answer to the question is Jesus. And then I love what happens. The eunuch's like, 
awesome. Well, what else do I need to know so that I can be saved and be baptized? Like, do I need to sign up for the Jerusalem newsletter? Um, is there a Sunday school class I need to attend? Like, what do I need to do? And he says it this way. He says, and then they came, uh, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What's still left for me to do, uh, Philip? Okay, I hear you saying that this is Jesus. Okay, I've trusted, I believe in him. What else is left for me to do before I can be baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is day one. That's like you coming to church today, and you're like, okay, all right, I think I'm in. What else do I need to know, though, before I get baptized? Like, I don't know. Who do you believe Jesus is? And what do you believe Jesus did? And like, they're like, we don't have any water in the baptism. It takes a while to fill up, but hang around. We'll fill it up. Like, doing it the same day. You see how that reinforces trusting in Jesus and him alone for salvation? Everything else is added to that. But your entrance into the kingdom is, is this one thing. Who is Jesus? Another example in Acts 16, I just bring this one up. It's super cool because remember where Jesus was at with the disciples in Matthew 16? Caesarea Philippi? Well, fast forward now, and there's actually like a, a church starting to form there in this area, and Paul and Silas are in the area. The backstory is they encountered this, this girl who was demon-possessed, and her and she was actually a slave girl, and the, the, the owners, um, humans don't actually own one another, but her owners um, were using her to make money. And, um, and Paul and Silas encountered this girl, and they're like, oh my gosh, she's possessed by a demon. And so they, they cast out the demon, they pray for this, this, this girl, and she's delivered, and so now she goes back home, and her owners are like pretty upset. So they go tell on Paul and Silas, and they have them stripped of all their clothing, they are beat with rods, and then thrown in prison. Okay, so here they are in prison, it's dark and cold and just super scary, and they've been beaten, humiliated, and what are they going to be doing? Well, they are worshiping. We were created for worship. They're worshiping. Um, the scripture says that around midnight, they're, out, you know, they're singing and they're worshiping God, and there's like this earthquake. And it's this big rumbling, and it's like it, it kind of unjars the gates of the, the prison. It opens them up and kind of it undoes the shackles, and now all the prisoners are essentially free to go. And the guard freaks out because he knows that if one prisoner escapes, it's his life. And so he's actually going to start to like think about, I need to kill myself. That would be, I'm going to do that because if I get, like, they'll torture me. And so then Paul and Silas see that. And they're like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. We're actually all still here. This is uh, verse uh, 30. Then he brought them out. That's the jailer. He brought Paul and Silas out and look at what he asked. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's the question. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Uh, the jailer commits his life to Christ right there, trusts in Jesus and him alone. They go back to the jailer's house and they tend to their wounds. And Paul and Silas share the gospel with the rest of the family. They're saved, and then the family gets baptized. You see how cool that is? How simple that is? Is there more for this family? Absolutely. My hope is that from here, they now join that group of believers there in Philippi, and they grow in their faith, and they dig into the scriptures, and they learn more about who God is and what Christ has done, and, and their theology grows, and their relationship with God grows, but it starts here. This is where the kingdom is unlocked. 
What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. And so I really want to land here um, as we think about being a church on mission. Like, um, I want you to try to imagine a world a year from now where every person who is here, like a part of this church, like if you just lived your life on mission every day, like you know we'll run out of seats and that's okay because you're like through your words, like you're the one who God's going to work through to multiply his kingdom. You're the one through you sharing your faith with others, right? God is going to unlock eternity and invite pe- more people into the kingdom and some of those people are going to want to come to church with you. That's cool. Some of them may want to go back to a church that they're familiar with, whatever. That's cool, too. What happens when we run out of seats? The first thing we do is let's plant a church somewhere else that can go do this, right? Like We're not trying to build this kingdom. We're building his kingdom. But just try to imagine if each one of us, like, to the best of our ability, with sincerity, we just lived our life expecting missional conversations, like your everyday life, hoping, waiting, praying, just listening. What would that look like? So I'm going to give just some practical advice now around what this could look like. Remembering that we're to do this with gentleness and respect, here's what I would encourage you to do. Take the posture of curiosity and compassion. So how do you start a gospel conversation with somebody? This is going to be rocket science. Ask for permission. That's your starting point. Ask for permission. We'll put some things on the screen here just to show you examples of what this could look like. Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? What a gentle and curious way to ask if you can have a deep, meaningful conversation with somebody. A coworker, a friend, the person waiting on you. Ask for permission. Hey, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? You feel how respectful that is? How gentle that is? And then when they say yes, I have yet to have anybody say no, by the way. They're, they're, it'll happen. I, it'll happen, but I, I haven't had it happen yet. And so that tells me that most times people are going to say yes. Okay, then what do you do? Then you, you ask a question. I don't know what's the question. Be curious. Here's, here's eight examples of what curiosity could look like, but none of them are in your voice. And none of them are with your words, but here's some examples. I don't know, where do you go to find meaning in life? What's your perspective on spirituality and religion? How do you find hope when things get hard? What's your opinion on what happens after we die? Do you ever think about the bigger questions in life? Like, why are we here? What do you think about the concept of God or higher power? How do you decide what matters in life? Have you ever had an experience that made you wonder if God really exists? These are just examples. And if you'll listen, like if you're really curious, you'll learn a lot. You may find out that they grew up in church and got hurt and left and turned their, snubbed their nose up. And maybe you'll find that they actually are a Christian and they've been living like the prodigal son and they've just been waiting on somebody to see them and invite them back. Or you may find that they are diehard atheists and they've got like 10 answers ready to come at you with. Right? Do you feel how that is just being curious? Like, hey man, can I ask you a personal question? Ask the question, then listen. Pay attention. You'll learn something. And then what do you do? What happens if they lean in, right? You drop some breadcrumbs and they, they come a step closer. What do you do next? This is where a lot of us will go deer in the headlights. Like, oh. You ask a second question or a third question. 
may I or can I share with you what I believe? Like, again, I've had nobody say no yet. It'll happen, but it happens rarely. Can I share with you what I believe? You see how respectful and gentle that is? I'm not pretending like I don't want to share what I believe with you, but I'm also respecting and honoring the fact that, that you're another human and like you may not be in the space for that. If they say no, okay. Say no, it makes me sad. I really want to share that with you. And you might even follow it up with, okay, well, um, man, is there anything I can pray about for you? Like, I'm going to pray. You don't have to hang around for it. You can go. But like, is there anything? I'm going to pray for you. But like, is there anything going on that like you want me to mention to the God I believe in? You see how you're leaving that open with compassion? Right? We're not moving towards argument and being combative or winning, winning the battle here, just simply staying in that space of gentleness and respect. And so then you would follow it up with, God, thanks for sharing that with me. Here's another way you could ask the question. Can I share, can I share some of my thoughts? Can I share about where I find meaning for life? Or simply, can I just share with you what I believe? You're, you're, you're being upfront and honest. I want to share with you what I believe. I just asked you what you believe. Now, can I share what I believe? And here's ultimately what we're aiming at. This is what we want to have in our pocket. The last slide is this. Share who you believe Jesus is. Second thing is this. Share about what you believe Jesus did. And the third thing is share about how you called on Jesus to be saved. You can just share your testimony around that, or you can just say, there was a time in my life where I just, I called out and cried out to Jesus, and that's how I was saved. And they, they, if they're still leaning in, they may start to ask you questions you don't have answers to. Here's what you do next. Be honest. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I have some. I don't have the answer to that. Just tell the truth. Be honest about it. Then text Pastor Nick and get the answer. <laughs> Not really. If we take off chasing too many questions and answers, we'll start to drift away from, hey, this is the, this is the question that matters. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe he died and he rose again, and I called out to him and he saved me. Have that in your pocket, ready to give away. Let's end with just some questions um, for us to reflect on. Um, some of you may still be working on your homework from last week. So here's the question from last week. Why do you hope in Jesus? So we sent you home to think about that. Community groups, you talked about it. Why? Why do you have, why do you hope in Jesus? If I'm going to listen to you, share anything with me about your faith, why do you hope in Jesus? And then from there, let's start to think about this. How do you answer the question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The next question I want us to think about is this. Is like You probably saw this as we were walking through this today. How does this identity that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, how does that shape your approach to reading the Scriptures? Jesus is like, hey, I see you reading the Bible and you're looking for answers. Can I tell you the, can I tell you the answer you're going to find? It's me. I mean, it's, it's all pointing towards me. But not only that, take it a step deeper. Like, think about your relationship with Jesus. If this is actually pointing to Jesus, then, like, how does it approach your your Bible reading, like not, not are, you, are you just looking for answers or are you looking for like, Jesus, I want to know you more deeply. Like, I want to know more about who you are. Like, we have these concepts of mercy and grace. Like, show me what that looks like. 
how does this knowledge of who Jesus is impact the way you read the scriptures, and then how does it shape how you share your faith with others? If you've got to point back to, if I'm sharing my faith with others, I've got to point back to the person of Jesus. If I'm not sharing that, I'm actually not sharing my faith. I may be sharing theology, but I'm not sharing my faith, the gospel. And then this last question, which may be your homework for this week, is what do you need to do in order to be prepared to share your faith with others now? Okay, again, there are tons of tools out there that you can go to, but in the simplest form, what do you need? Let's start there. What do you need to do to be prepared to share your faith with others? You were created for mission. This is the mission you're on. This is the mission I'm on. The mission of one of us is the mission of all of us. That's why we exist. I'm going to pray for us now, and um, and our worship team is going to come back out, and we're going to have prayer partners at the front. Um, If you're in the room right now and you're a Christian, would you already just begin thinking about what God's speaking to you, responding to that, or pray for somebody else in the room? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would love your attention for just a moment. I don't know how church has been presented to you. I don't know how Jesus has been presented to you. But you just heard the gospel in the simplest form today. The gospel is this good news that the church has. And God has asked us to share that with you. And here's the good news. At the center of the good news is a person. That person is Jesus. And we believe he, in fact, is the promised one of the Bible. And more than that, he is the son of God. And we want you to know we believe that. We also believe that he died for our sins, and he rose again. And lastly, please hear me in this. The Bible has made a promise to you that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if your mind is spinning with all kinds of other questions, and like I just want to like give you permission to settle on just that. That's the starting point. And if that's you and you want somebody to pray with you today, would you please come grab a prayer partner? Prayer partners on both sides at the front. We'll have elders and pastors. We'll be out in the commons, but would you grab somebody and would you say, hey, will you pray with me? I want to become a Christian today. I want to do that thing Jason was talking about. I want to trust in Jesus and him alone. Will you, will you show me how to do that? Let me pray for us, and then worship team will come out. Prayer partners will come forward. Um, Father, thank you for our time together today. God, we know that the depths of who you are are unsearchable. When we talk about the gospel in the simplest form, it's in in no way meant to try to simplify you. Father, you are bigger than we could imagine. You you, You go beyond the scope of time. Father, there are deep things about you that we will not comprehend until that day we see you face to face. But Father, we're so thankful that the keys to the kingdom of heaven begin with this simple understanding that Jesus is your son and he is the Christ. So Father, I pray that that truth will be lifted up in this song we're about to sing and that you would draw us together to that truth. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. If there's anybody here who does not know you, Father, I pray you would send your Holy Spirit now. Stir move, cause things to well up inside of us that capture our attention and capture our affection. Father, make us uncomfortable 
Give us courage. All these things we need from you, we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.